I would ask everyone to please turn in your Bibles to our text this morning, which comes from Revelation chapter 19. We'll begin this morning by looking at verses 1 to 5. Revelation chapter 19 and verses 1 to 5. Revelation chapter 19 verses 1 to 5. Please then hear with me the reading of God's Word. After this, I heard what seemed to be the loud voice of a great multitude in heaven crying out, Hallelujah! Salvation and glory and power belong to our God. For His judgments are true and just. For He has judged the great prostitute who corrupted the earth with her immorality and has avenged on her the blood of His servants. Once more they cried out, Hallelujah! The smoke from her goes up forever and ever. And the twenty-four elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshipped God who was seated on the throne, saying, Amen. Hallelujah. And from the throne came a voice saying, Praise our God, all you His servants, you who fear Him, small and great. Thus far is a reading of God's Word. Well, here in, in chapters 18 and 19, we see the end that awaits two peoples. Right, last week in verses 9 to 24 of chapter 18, we've seen how the, the angel came to John and how he described for John the, the very sad and, and terrifying ending that awaits those who have rejected God and denied His Son and persecuted His people when Christ returns. We've seen how everything that they loved, everything that they lived for, everything that they pursued will, will perish in a moment before their eyes. And in the response, though, we also seen their, their heart, didn't we? We've seen their heart as they, as they cried out, right, mourning the loss of things. Right? They, they cried out selfishly for themselves. They did not cry out in repentance, but rather they cried out because they lost wealth and prosperity. We see now everything that they love would be no more. How their earthly goods and temporal riches that they pursued will one day disappear. And when it does, so too shall all their ambitions and their hopes and their dreams. And yet, knowing this, right, knowing all these things, people will still today exchange 70 or 80 years maybe of a earthly existence that we have. To live for themselves apart from God, apart from fellowship with His Son. Right? In rebellion to His law and to His kingdom. All for then an eternity of utter despair. I mean, think about the madness of that. To exchange 70 or 80 years of an earthly life for an eternal destiny in the torments of hell. And yet now, today, we see in our text what will result though in God's people, for for God's people when God returns, as they will escape the judgments that we read about last week. And what a contrast today we see that it shall be for the people of God. Here in chapter 19, we see what transpires when God triumphs over His enemies once and for all, when the triumph over His enemies is complete. What we see here then is that heaven celebrates His triumph, doesn't it? It celebrates His victory over the harlot Babylon 
who persecuted His people and, and shed the blood of the saints. At that time, brothers and sisters, we see that, that Christ will stand before His people as champion. And then at that time, we will sing His praises. Right? Probably all of us have seen celebrations on TV before. Right? Maybe uh, your favorite sports team won a, a championship and you, you've seen that celebration and then you watched maybe the parade that took place to the city of that, uh, that, that won that championship of that respective sport. Well, brothers and sisters, let us see that the, the celebration in heaven is going to be a, a celebration of celebrations. Right? There will be none like it. Right? It will be a celebration that is, that is holy. It will be a celebration that is, that is glorious. It will be a celebration that is perfect. Right? Nothing but uh, truth will be spoken there. Right? Nothing but, but pure thoughts will be had. Nothing but right feelings will be felt as all of God's people together right, worship corporately, jointly, publicly, and openly. And this is what we see. This is what we're given a, a peek into today. We're given a, a peek into a heavenly worship. And so today, as we look at our text, we want to do so uh, in three points as we, as we see and anticipate what, a, what awaits the saints in glory. And so our first point this morning that we're going to look at, we'll call praising God for salvation. Praising God for salvation. Our second point this morning will be praising God for judgment. Praising God for judgment. And our third point will be praising God, all His servants. Praising God, all His servants. And so point number one, praising God for salvation. In verse one, we read this. After this, that means after this previous vision, I heard what seemed to be a loud voice of a great multitude in heaven crying out, Hallelujah! Salvation and glory and power belong to our God. Now a few things I want us to take note of as we have read that first verse together. The first thing is this. Who is the object of worship here? The object of worship here is God. It is God. Now this is very different Right, to how many people right, worship today, isn't it? Right, today, worship has become an exercise in pleasing man. Right, worship has become very man-centered and man-focused. Right, man has become the object of his own worship, has he not? We say, well, what is man like? Well, let's do that. Right, what, is, what is man going to enjoy? Let's implement that. What's going to attract man? What's going to help man? What's going to make man feel good? And God is almost an afterthought, isn't He, in worship today? When God is to be at the the forefront of worship, is He not? For He is the sole reason that we gather here today. To praise Him. To honor Him. To worship Him. And to please Him. For He is worship's divine institutor. He is its sovereign orchestrator. He is the one who has established worship and who prescribes worship. Which is why then, brothers and sisters, it is incumbent upon us then to, to fall in line and to, and to come and to worship Him in the manner in which He has prescribed us to worship Him. Right? That, is, that is our job, our task as the people of God. This is what the very word hallelujah means. That word hallelujah combines the word hallel, which means praise, with the word yah. 
Right? Part of the name of Yahweh or the name of the Lord. And so those two words together, Hallel and Yah, equal Hallelujah, which means praise the Lord. Right? That is what the servants in heaven are doing. This great multitude is engaged in praising the Lord in verse 1. Right? Hallelujah is being shouted. But now there's a second thing I want us to see. What is it that they are praising God for? The first thing that they are praising God for here is His salvation. And I think it's this issue really of salvation, which is why uh, worship today has become so man-focused and, and man-centered. It's because so many churches and so many peoples today have an unbiblical view of salvation. Right? They view salvation as an act not only of God, but of man. Yeah, they see that, that God does the, the big part of it, he does kind of the important part in sending his son to die for you, but now you have to finish the act. Right? You have to muster up the faith to believe. And they believe that people in their natural state have the condition and the ability to do this very thing. And so, no wonder then why man makes himself the object of worship. Because if it's not just God alone, but man who plays a part in it, well then, yeah, we're going to... We're going to focus worship on man so that more men would, would muster up the faith to believe that they would do their part, that they would finish what God had started. And in this view, even if they're not conscious of it, what they are really doing in their own salvation is putting themselves alongside God. That they are putting themselves alongside God. Right? They are saying that their part in salvation is of equal worth as God's part in salvation. Because it's, it's God's part, our part, equals salvation. Right? There are two parts to the whole, and so they are equal parts. Right? That is what people are actually saying, even if they are not conscious of the fact that they are saying that. And so ultimately, then, the praise belongs to who? It doesn't just belong to God. It belongs to both God and man. But is that what we see here in heavenly worship? No, we see that the saints are worshiping God alone in glory. Right? They ascribe the, the whole of salvation to God. Right? Salvation, they say, belongs to Him. Paul says why in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 4-7. to right? There Paul declares that God chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world. That we should be holy and blameless in Him. Right? In love, God predestined us for adoption to Himself as sons through Christ according to the purpose of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace, which He blessed us in the Beloved. In Him we have redemption through the blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of His grace. Brothers and sisters, let us see, this is why the saints sing hallelujahs to the King in heaven, because they recognize that they were dead in their trespasses and sins. They recognize that by nature they are children of wrath. They recognize that it is God who is rich in mercy and out of the great love for which He loved them, sent His Son, died for them, so that they might be made alive with Christ. Right? That is why they are singing hallelujahs to God and to God alone. Because they recognize that they have only been saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Right? They are singing hallelujahs, praise to the Lord recognizing that it not only is through grace that we are saved, but it is through the grace of God alone that we are being kept in that salvation. And it is through the grace of God alone that He will one day complete that salvation in glory. 
they also are singing hallelujahs, praising God. Because they recognize likewise that it is only because of the goodwill and purpose of God that they have been made vessels of mercy instead of vessels of wrath. Being made able to stand before the Lord and to worship Him and to, and to praise His name. Right? So this is what it means, brothers and sisters, then to say that salvation belongs to the Lord. It means that He is salvation's author and it means that He is salvation's finisher. When we say salvation belongs to the Lord, we are ascribing to God all of the work of salvation, all of the glory that is due to that. Right? Saying that He is sovereign over salvation and He alone. And that is why all praise belongs to Him. Next, what do we see? We see that God is not only praised for His salvation that He has wrought, but He is also praised for His glory. Right, for His glory is all glory likewise belongs to the Lord. As one author puts it, God's glory is the magnificence, the worth, the loveliness, and the grandeur of His many perfections. Right, this glory, God communicates to us though through what? Through His many works. Right, what does Scripture tell us? That the heavens declare the glory of God, right? That through His work of creation, right, the, the glory of God speaks forth to man. That same glory is identified with who? That same glory is identified with Christ, right? It's identified with His incarnation, with His miracles, with His transfiguration, with His suffering, with His death, with His ascension, with His session, right? Taking the seat at the right hand of God. And likewise, His glory will be revealed on the day that He comes back in, in judgment of the world. And let us see, brothers and sisters, that that glory is both intrinsic and extrinsic. Right? God's glory is intrinsic and extrinsic. It's intrinsic in the sense that, that God alone is inherently glorious. Right? God is the only glorious being that exists. Right? He is glorious in Himself. He is intrinsically uh, glorious. His extrinsic glory then is that glory that is revealed. His extrinsic glory is that glory that we perceive with our senses, that we see with our eyes, that we behold every day of our life. And so God who is the supreme being, a being unlike all other beings, He who is independent and infinite and simple, and immutable, and impassable, and eternal, and omniscient, and omnipotent. Right? Is He not alone the One who is worthy of all praise for being all-glorious? Absolutely. Right? How can glory be given to, to man or to any created being when we are nothing apart from God? Right? We are nothing apart from God. We don't even exist apart from God. Think about that. As you sit here today, brothers and sisters, right now you live and you move and you have your being in God right now. That is why you are here today. In heaven, you likewise will only exist because of God. Right? He is the, the source of your life both now and in the future. Right? He is the source of your joy and happiness both now and in the future. He is the source of every benefit that you receive both now and in the future. And so, brothers and sisters, heaven is going to be filled with praising God then for His glory. 
because He is all-glorious. Lastly, we see heaven is going to be filled with people worshiping and praising God. Not only for His salvation and His glory, but also praising Him for His power. For His power. Now think about it. Why will they be praising God for His power? Well, it is because of His power that God has the ability to act in this world and to accomplish everything that He has purposed. Right? It is because of God's power that no one or nothing can constrain God in any way. Right? Think about that. Right? Think about all of the powerful works God has done throughout Scripture that we read about. It was by God's power that He delivered the Israelites from Pharaoh and the Egyptians. It was by God's power that He allowed Daniel to escape the lion's den and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to, to not perish in the fiery furnace. It is by the power of God that Paul and Silas in the book of Acts were, were freed from their imprisonment. And so we see is the, the power of God that, that is most necessary, isn't it? That God not be constrained in any way by man. More so though than that, we will be worshiping God not only for the power that He displays in, in delivering us from our physical tormentors, but I think even more so in heaven, we are going to be worshiping Him for His power in delivering us from our spiritual tormentors, right? Bondage of sin, right? The, the devil. Uh, our corrupt nature, something that all people need, right? All people need that kind of deliverance, right? They need to, to feel that kind of power of God. Because many people seen the, the great works of God in the world, didn't they? And yet they still did not believe. The Pharisees, the Sadducees, Herod, they were all guilty of this, seeing the great works that Jesus was doing and still not believing. Right? Babylon was guilty of that. Unbelievers today are guilty of that. You see His power everywhere on display and still people fail to render the worship that is due to God. So this is why we will praise God for His power in heaven. Because not only has He manifested His power in creation for us to witness and behold, but He likewise has shown forth His power inside of us as well. Right? By transforming us supernaturally within, right? by giving us eyes to see, by enlightening our once darkened minds, by giving us and granting to us faith, by causing us to receive salvation, right? by transforming our hearts and making us a new creation in Christ. For it is because of these things that we will stand one day before the Lord in glory and praise His name. This leads us then, brothers and sisters, to our second point this morning. Our second point, which is praising God for His judgments. Praising God for His judgments. Now, I think many people in the world are, are quite fine with praising God for those things that they perceive as good in the world. So if I get a new job, I praise God. If I get a promotion, I praise God. If I win some award, I praise God. If my children are doing good, I praise God. I praise God for the comforts I have in my life. But let us see here, brothers and sisters, through, through the praise that we see that is going to be attended to in heaven, that, that the praise of the saints ought to be more well-rounded than that. Right? It ought to be more well-rounded. Look at verses 2 and 3 with me, please. For His judgments are true and just. 
For he has judged the great prostitute who corrupted the earth with her immorality and has avenged on her the blood of his servants. Once more they cry out, Hallelujah! The smoke from her goes up forever and ever. Now, the thought of praising God for His judgments causes this world to recoil, doesn't it? This world, and sadly, many professing believers despise the thought that God is going to, to judge people. But what they don't understand, brothers and sisters, is that without God's judgments, you would have no reason then to praise God for His mercy. It is because of His judgments that we praise Him for His mercy. Because His judgments demonstrate what it is that each and every one of us deserve. But this is, the, is why mercy is so sweet. And why mercy is so great. Because mercy is receiving what we don't deserve. Right? Mercy is God's grace showed towards sinners in giving us what we don't deserve. And there are people out there that in the world who say, well, then why doesn't God just give mercy to everyone? And the first thing perhaps we ought to say back to them is that no one has claim over God's mercy but Him. That's why. Right? God owns mercy. And God owes mercy to nobody. Right? God owes mercy to nobody. He gives mercy to those whom He chooses to give mercy for His glory. And He withholds giving mercy to others for His own glory. Right? Paul says this in Romans chapter 9, verse 22. What if God, desiring to show His wrath and to make known His power, has endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared beforehand for destruction in order to make known the riches of His glory for vessels of mercy which He has prepared beforehand for glory. And so you see, He doesn't give mercy to all so that He might show forth His glory. Right? He doesn't give mercy to Babylon so that He might show forth His glory to His church. Right? In punishing Babylon... Right, he shows forth the great riches of His mercy to the saints. He doesn't, brothers and sisters, show mercy in order to show the, the, the glorious riches uh, of His mercy to His people. And yet, no one can lodge a complaint against God, can they? Because why? All have sinned. All have fallen short of the glory of God. And the wages of sin is what? It's death. Right? So nobody can complain when God gives you what you actually deserve. Right, when He gives to you the reward that is yours. And think about it. If we think back to chapter 18, as we read about the kings of the earth, and as we read about the merchants and the shipmasters, none of them were crying out for mercy, were they? No, they wanted no part of God's mercy. Right? They wanted no part of God. They sinned happily every day of their life, daring God in their sin to act as judge, saying, we don't believe you. And so to not judge sin, right, God then would cease to be God. Right? For God to not judge sin, He would cease to be God. For He would be untrue. He would be a liar. He would not be a just judge, but rather, He would be an unjust judge. And if He was unjust, then He would act just like you and I. And then also, He would be unable to save you and I. This is then why the saints will, will stand in glory and praise God for His judgments because His judgments show forth His worthiness to all people. His judgments show to us that He is true. His judgments show to us that He is just. And remember who He is judging. 
Right? He is judging those who have lived in rebellion and sin and immorality against Him. Who have lived in opposition to Christ. Who have persecuted His people. Who have called God a liar to His face. For every time the Word of God goes forth and people are told, repent and believe the Word lest ye perish. And they don't repent and believe. They're calling God a liar. Right? Every time the, the Word goes forth and says that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and men chuckle and laugh at that and don't bow the knee to the, the King of all the earth. Right? They, they are calling Jesus to a, a liar. I mean, this world is, is, is so ridiculous, isn't it? They, they happily revel when other people get what they deserve, don't they? Right? When, when justice is, is exacted upon a person, what do they say? That's good, they got what they deserve. But now when the, when the sinner is to get what they deserve, they have a problem with it. Right? And so, brothers and sisters, we see we shall rejoice in heaven. We will glory in our King as it proves in His judgments that He is worthy, that He is true, that He is just. Right? We will pray and praise Him uh, for acting perfectly and acting righteously according to His law. We also see this, that, that God will be praised in the heavens because on that great day of reckoning, what happens to the inhabitants of the earth cannot be reversed. And it's permanent. Right, what's going to happen to the inhabitants of the earth? What will happen to Babylon is permanent and it is irreversible. Right, that is what verse 3 describes for us as we read that the, the smoke goes up from it forever and ever. This is actually a quotation from Isaiah chapter 34, verse 10, which describes the judgment that will befall Edom. And there we read, Night and day it shall not be quenched. Its smoke shall go up forever. So we need to see that, that the quotation here of Isaiah 34.10 is meant to demonstrate or to show to us that, that Edom's destruction, that Edom's judgment is symbolic of the eternal judgment of hell that all nations and that all peoples will suffer for rejecting God. Right? It's a judgment that is permanent. It goes up forever and forever. But likewise, what we need to see, and I think is an important point, that God is going to be praised uh, not only because He is all-glorious, but He likewise is going to be praised because in the destruction and in the judgment of Babylon and its inhabitants, He gets glory over His enemies. Okay? So not only is He all-glorious, but in His judgment of Babylon, He will get glory over His enemies. And God is concerned with that. Think back to Exodus 14. right? As the Israelites are escaping Egypt, what is in verse 3 God tell Moses? Right? He tells Moses to have the Israelites encamp by the sea. Right? He wants them right there by the sea. So it looks like they're trapped. And he says in verse 3, For Pharaoh will say to the people of Israel, say of the people of Israel, they are wandering in the land. The wilderness has shut them in. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart. And he will pursue them. And I will get glory over Pharaoh. And I will get glory over all His host. And all the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. Okay, in that same way, brothers and sisters, that's why we ought to look forward to the destruction of Babylon. Because at that time, God will be praised. right? As He will get the glory over His enemies and even His enemies will see right, that He is 
the Lord God. This leads us then to our our third and our final point this morning, which is praising God, all His servants. Please look with me then at verses 4 and 5. And the twenty-four elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshipped God who was seated on the throne, saying, Amen, Hallelujah. And from the throne came a voice saying, Praise our God, all you His servants, you who fear Him, small and great. Here, what do we see? We've described this imagery in the past, but 24 elders are whom? Right? The 12 tribes of Israel, 12 apostles. Right? It's a symbolic figure for the full faith community of both Old and New Testament saints. Right? We have the, the four creatures. Right? That's taken from Ezekiel 10, Isaiah 6. Right? Those four creatures are what? They are angels. And here the angels are the heavenly representatives for all of God's creation. And so we see the angels and we see the church fall down and praise God and worship the Lord. And from there, there is this voice that summons them to, to praise God, those who fear Him, both great and small. Now, how the small and the great are described is of great importance to us this morning. Right? How are they described? Those summoned to praise Him are called what? They are called servants. Right? They are called servants. It is servants of God who will be praising Him in heaven. Now that word servants, right, the Greek word behind it is doulos, which means what? Not only servant, but it can be translated slave as well. Right? These are servants of God. These are slaves of God who are worshiping Him. Right? We live in a world today that, that promotes human autonomy, doesn't it? But let us see that that is an unbiblical view. Brothers and sisters, let us see today that we are possessions. We are somebody's possessions. We, we belong to somebody. And if that is who we are in heaven, then that is most assuredly who we are likewise to be here on earth. This is what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 to 20. He says, you are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Right? Peter confirms this as well in 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 9, saying this, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. Why? That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Let us see, brothers and sisters, that we have been made God's possessions in order that we might here on earth and in heaven declare His excellencies. Right? That is what He has set you apart for. Right? This, that is the same thing that we will attend to in heaven because that is what you have been made to be. Right? Worshippers of God. Right? That is His intention for His people. Right? To be worshippers, not only on earth, but we will be worshippers in heaven. And this is something that is innate in man. We, we understand this, that we are to be worshipers. This is why since the creation of man, everywhere you go in the world, you will find people worshiping something, won't you? The problem is, is what? That since the fall, worship has been perverted. So that now people worship and serve the creature rather than the Creator. So then let us see as we, as we look upon this picture of the heavenly worshipers, what God is doing now here on earth through the proclamation of the Gospel and through the salvation of the elect, what God is doing, 
is he is regathering, right? He is reconstituting worshipers for himself. Right? That is what he is doing through the proclamation of the word and through the salvation of the elect. He is reclaiming for himself worshipers for his house. And so, brothers and sisters, this is why we need to recover that idea then that Lord's Day worship is the most important thing that you will do week in and week out. Right? That is a, an idea that has been lost in today's society. That worship is the most important thing, I don't care what's on your schedule, that you will do week in and week out. Do you want to know why? Because when preaching the Gospel ceases, when discipleship ceases, when growing in maturity and faith ceases, when taking the Lord's table and being baptized ceases, do you know what doesn't cease? The worship and praise of God. Right? The worship and praise of God endures forever because this is who you are. You are worshipers of God. Right? Bought by the blood of Christ. Purchased so that you might declare His excellencies. Enjoying Him forever. Remembering all that He has done. Right? This is why attending to the worship service every week ought to be the most important thing that you see that you do. Because now, brothers and sisters, you get a, a foretaste of what heaven is like. Right On the Lord's Day, what God is doing is He is extending to you the, the privilege of engaging in heavenly worship with the saints. And in understanding that, should you not with them cry out, Hallelujah, praise the Lord, for that mercy that He extends to His people. Let us then see, brothers and sisters, the, the great honor that it is to be called slaves of God. No matter what anybody tells you, we are all slaves to something. Right? We probably know people who are slaves to money. Right? People who are, who are slaves to food and drink. Who are slaves to the television set. Who are slaves to human philosophy. Who are slaves to the morality of this world. But everyone is a slave. You will be a slave to something. But the question is, who are you a slave to? Right? Who, who do you belong to? May we, brothers and sisters, desire to be slaves of Christ. For in Him alone will you find forgiveness of sin. Right? For it is in Christ alone that you will find uh, peace and rest. It is only in Christ that you will have that fear and anxiety and worry removed. It is only in Christ that you will discover who you have been made to be. Standing in Christ, knowing that He is true, and that He is just, it will enable the church to, to look forward to His promises of His return and our glorious inheritance that awaits us. Right? Knowing right, that God cannot lie, that He is faithful to His covenant people, and that He will do exactly what He says that He will do. And so, brothers and sisters, today I call upon us all to, to make sure that we are finding Right? Our, our sufficiency and our worth in Christ. May this reality cause God's church to find happiness on the Lord's Day, not then in sport, not in recreation, not in tending to your gardens, not in shopping, but may we find our happiness on the Lord's Day in worshiping and in praising God. For this is what you have been created to do. And may we ask the Lord in prayer for those of us today 
perhaps who struggle with finding contentment in his house, that he would grant to us that contentment. That He would grant to us that that happiness and joy of being in His presence every Lord's Day to the exclusion of everything else that is going on in the world. Understanding that there is no greater work that any of us will do this week than attend to the worship of God. And so, brothers and sisters, may we pray that by God's grace, you will now be what He has bought you to be and made you to be and what you forever shall be with Him one day in glory. Let us pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for Your steadfast love, for Your mercy, for Your grace. We thank You, Lord, that You are uh, true and right, that we can bank on everything that You have spoken to us, seeing that what You have said before has happened. And so what You have proclaimed will occur. We can most certainly be assured that it too will happen. Lord, we ask that You would help, though, to strengthen our faith where we are weak, that You would forgive us for any unbelief that we have. Uh, Lord, that You would help us to be a people who happily sing Your hallelujahs, uh, that we are those who are quick to praise the Lord, recognizing that salvation and glory and power belong to You. But may we be those also who praise You for Your judgments. Let us be those who praise You uh, for our own chastisements recognizing that in all things uh, You are being glorified and in that we ought to take solace. And so, Father, we come before You this morning asking these things. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.